Hi everybody, it's Matt, and welcome to Roleplay Chat. We are game masters that just can't stop talking about role-playing games. Today, I have a bonus episode for you. I recently collaborated with the hosts of the Double DM podcast. It was so much fun. They joined me for an episode of Roleplay Chat, which will be coming out on the 22nd of this month. It's going to be really cool, and we're going to be talking about one-shots. And I also joined them for an episode of their show, the Double DM Podcast, which you can find wherever you listen to podcasts. And I highly recommend you go check them out. It was a fun surprise, and I actually found out that their content is very similar to Roleplay Chat. So they uh, agreed to swap audio with me. So I figured that today I'd share the audio of that episode with you. It's raw and unfiltered, so if you want to hear the curated and uh, final version of it, you should go check out Double DM Podcast's audio. But I figured I'd share it with you here. Like I said, it's very similar to Roleplay Chat in terms of its content. So I hope you give it a listen. I hope you enjoy. And the topic for today's discussion is downtime. So we are back now with our guest today, Matt from Roleplay Chat. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yes. Hello. Hello, listeners of Double DM. Nice to, nice to be here. Thanks for having me on the show, guys. Uh, my name is Matt. I'm the host of Roleplay Chat. It's a, a podcast similar to yours, discussions, deep dives on system agnostic tabletop RPG uh, topics. And yeah, I'm happy to be here to talk to you guys about whatever it is uh, we're going to dive into today. <laughs> yeah, thanks for being here again. Um, one quick question, though. How did you get into TTRPGs? When did that start? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I, I started in university. Um, I, I went to university for mathematics and statistics. And there's a certain crowd of people that tend to study those kinds of things over here in Canada. I, I imagine that it's pretty universal. Um, and we used to use our student lounge to play board games. And, and one day somebody cracked open, uh, it was the third 3.5 D&D uh, player's handbook. And we decided that we wanted to get into that. So we, we played that probably a little bit too much, might've skipped uh, one or two classes to, uh, to play games. Maybe, maybe not. Hopefully, no, hopefully that's uh, also something that's common around here. But yeah, so I, I played D&D 3.5. That was my, cut my teeth on that as a player and then I started game mastering a fourth edition of Dungeons and Dragons, which to some people's chagrin, I actually loved very much. It was one of my favorite editions. Uh, I, I really liked all the player powers and, and all that. And and then, yeah, and then from there, we just kind of, everything else is history. So I've been playing tabletop RPGs for about 10 years now. Um, I would probably consider my, my bread and butter to be the fate core systems and all of the kind of variants of that i find it's a very um, conducive system for role play which is my favorite part of the game and and yeah and i also play and i've game mastered a number of other systems um i've played recently i played a little bit of pathfinder second edition i played a little bit of uh, war the warhammer fantasy role play first and second edition and I also play in like this weird hybrid that one of my my friends made where they like took Warhammer and the Fate Core system and smooshed them together to make their own like not as punishing system as the as the Warhammer system. Um and and that's what I've been playing a lot of also. So those are kind of 
yeah, that's 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 me. That's my history for role playing games in a nutshell. <laughs> Very nice. I have to say though, because you said you went to university or college for mathematics, you went to university or college for mathematics and met people there, and I feel like that a lot, a lot of people that go into the scientific fields in university also do play role-playing games or at least a lot of board games because it's ex like i didn't start in university i started before that i started in high school but when when i went to university with my friends from high school we were the ones that cracked open this gaming board and said mm. in this lounge room okay we're gonna play now and people came in like flies and we met different people from all sides Like people that we wouldn't even have imagined in high school to play with us sat next to us because basically it was only that type of people that, that also was us. <laughs> these these nerds playing <laughs> games. We can be proud of it. We can be proud yeah. of being nerds. <laughs> I mean, every time some... I've been insulted as a nerd for a few times already in my life and I was always like, well, I don't give it fuck <laughs> yes i am i use that word daily i'm just taking it as a compliment thanks i guess absolutely yeah And no I, so, but uh, i agree with you we, uh, it's funny we all swarmed around flies i remember somebody cracked open that handbook and then everyone was like oh is that dungeons and dragons oh i've been meaning to try that you know and and i feel like lately the trend is just it's growing and growing and growing mm -hmm. um I actually was I was walking around in my neighborhood listening to tabletop RPG actual plays and got interrupted by a neighbor and they're like, oh, what are you listening to? And I'm like, oh, you're not going to know. You're not going to want me to talk to you about this. And I'm like, ah, it's this role-playing game. It's Critical Role. And they were like, oh, I know that. And I'm like, I would have never thought. So I'm happy. I'm so happy that our hobby is like expanding in that sense. Mm. Um, but... Um, But yeah, anyway, sorry, I'm rambling. <laughs> ah, well, the thing with Critical Role, right, is it's one of the su most successful Twitch streams of all time. And that as a D&D &D stream, once a week, is an accomplishment. You mm. really have to, like, even if you don't like Critical Role, and I know people that don't, you have to acknowledge that they bring a lot of people into this hobby. And I've also heard a lot of people say that they don't like the style that Critical Role promotes of this very theater-like play. And I'm like, well, then don't play that style. Play your yeah, own style. But don't give a fuck about the new people that come in and make this hobby, this passion even greater for what it is. As long as we have more people here, I am happy. Absolutely. I, I remember the dark days of not having a table to play with, you know, It's it's great that there's more people that are interested in the hobby for that exact reason. You can find people mm. to play with, quote unquote, easier. Like it's still sometimes tough, but uh, especially when there's lockdowns and things. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. And it's funny that you talk about uh, Critical Role's style of play, right? Because you're right; it's definitely promoting a certain kind of a certain kind of play that some people like, some people hate. Some people are like, they don't, they, they have no opinion about it. But mm. for me, that's definitely been something that I, I really enjoy the theatrics. I really enjoy their role play. I really enjoy putting on voices, which I know 
you don't have to put on voices to role play and vice versa. But for me, that's part of my fun. And that's part of the atmosphere that I want to cultivate in my games. So I'm going to try my best today to bring that angle to, to the show if, if you guys don't already do that. But that's that's kind of where I'm coming from. That when I play my games, when I game master my games, it's usually on this axis of like, let's try to make... Let's try to have a cool scene between this NPC and this character or a dramatic moment between two player characters who maybe have diverging opinions about something. I try to get that drama out. It, it That's my fun. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like, I'm, oh, yes. yeah, I'm totally trying to get there as a DM as well to try to get my group to role play a bit more if they like to or at least to give them the opportunity to role play a bit more. If they don't like to in the moment, they don't have to. I won't force it on them. But maybe just promote it a little bit, give them more opportunities. And if they go in on it, uh, I recently had a four-hour session, which was 100% just role play. We just sat there and talked in characters. I had to switch a lot between NPCs which was kind of confusing, but I enjoyed every last bit of it. It was just mm -hmm. awesome. I mean, that's the first thing, right? Like we talked about, like some people don't or are not comfortable enough with role-playing at first. So I think my first question for this discussion would be, how do you get people to role-play more? Is especially newer people or how do you make people comfortable role playing? That's a, that's a really, that's a tough one. That's a good one. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, let me think. And obviously I don't, I, I'm not like a professional game master or a professional role player. So I, I don't, I don't take my, take my opinion for what it's worth. But, um, but for me, what I like to try to do to get people really excited about role playing is when I'm in the game master seat, just like push forward that agenda. Usually when I'm running like a one shot where I'm introducing new players to the game, the first interaction that they're going to have in the, like in the first five minutes of the game, I'm an NPC with a wacky voice, with a crazy personality. And I like initiate the game with high energy to say like, almost like to set the expectation, like this is what I'm going to do match my my energy if you want to if you don't feel comfortable with this that's okay you don't have to do that but like it kind of creates this um i, I find role-playing games work on like inertia like they work on if you start slow the energy of the table is gonna it, it's hard to pick it up but if you start fast it's easy to keep it up it's easy to bring it back down you you kind of get to control that uh if that makes any sense mm -hmm. it, it does um, especially like you mentioned managing expectations, which I think uh, regular listeners of the show know this, but I think the only big mistake I ever did as a DM was not setting expectations right for my players mm. and it destroyed a full campaign for me because I didn't set the expectation right that I want to play a spy-like game and they wanted more to play hack and slash, we kill all cultists and that was a problem for us and we are now having that campaign on ice and wait, but maybe it will be picked up, maybe not. But I didn't set the expectations right. And like coming in full force in the beginning of, hi, I'm this weird shopkeeper that you're now standing in front. What do you want to buy? And 
making it really clear that that is the type you of game you can expect in the beginning really gives them a good way to assess mm -hmm. if they are comfortable with that style. Do they instantly engage? Do they sit back and maybe observe? Because what I do is when I have a one-shot for introducing newer players, I mostly have at least one of my veterans, of my, of my veteran players uh, at the table so that they basically are the ones that can lead the group if it falls flat. And I often also talk to them about it before the one-shot. Yeah, yeah. Like, hey, this, these are new people. You know that. How about you sit back until you think you need to jump in to do something? You, you, because it, it goes to my philosophy of play with newer players. Play with new people at your table. Because the more people you play with the better you will become as a dungeon master because you will know more people and broaden your style again. Like, you, you know more people, you know how to DM for more people and for more diverse people, and these new players will bring a lot of new ideas to your table. If, the veteran, if the veteran would come up and basically tell them how to open this door, how they always do it in your group for like the last six years, those new players' creativity would be stumped down and taken off and basically put into a corner, and that is not helpful. So I mostly tell my veteran that is there to help these newer players. Take a seat back, just listen to it, and jump in if you think that they need your help or when you can actually roleplay your character for showcasing how it's, how it's done, is in quotation marks, because... There's no right way to do it, like we talked about already. Yeah, and I mean, some players don't don't want to role play. That's yeah. fine, you know. Like that's that's cool that they don't want to role play, or they don't want to do it in first person too, right? There's this distinction between doing it in the first person when you're like you put on the skin of your character and you talk as them and you put on the funny voice or whatever, and doing it narratively, saying, okay, my character is gonna kind of respond this way. They're gonna back off and. And say something to the effect of "I don't want it. I don't want to do that." Or "Yes, I take on the mission," or whatever. So if if that's the case, that's that's also fine. Uh, and I, like you said, you you let players know that they can say or do their role play however they want. But I feel like by taking the brunt of the embarrassment, quote, quote uh, embarrassment, right? Like it's not an embarrassment for me to to do the the crazy voice and be a funny character or a serious deep dark voice, blah blah blah, whatever. It's it sets this expectation that like, okay, no matter what you do, it's not going to be as quote unquote embarrassing as what Matt just did. So people tend to open up and they feel comfortable doing that. Um, and another, another way that I find to open people up to, to role play is to do it in, in situations where the stakes are a lot lower, right? If, if you're doing it in an environment where the player characters are talking to like the king of some Empire, king of some kingdom and the stakes are really high in the game they might be too stressed out to to role play but if you're doing it in uh kind of in a period of downtime if you're doing it in some kind of moment where the stakes are lower you're just talking to the barkeeper you're just trying to find an inn for the night or whatever then maybe they can just put their focus on role play and not so much about what exactly they're saying because it doesn't matter as much um that that has i've i've had success doing that as well 
Okay. Um, yeah, I know what you mean. This uh, going with the downtime. For example, with the tavern, right? With the, with the barkeeper, then the players enter the players enter the tavern, and then I normally switch into the role of the tavern keep that that looks up and says, "Hey there, adventurers! What do you need? How can I help you? Do you need something to eat? The place to stay?" And then sometimes I also say he looks especially at whatever player I want to put the focus on in that moment because these moments are, like you said, great for giving them a way to feel more comfortable doing it in the high-stakes situation where if the king is talking, he's probably going to talk to the one that's either the ones that looks the most noble or most well-dressed or maybe mm -hmm. the paladin that wears the symbol of the crown itself. So preparing every one of them for being on the spot in these low stake situations is really helpful. And then, okay, he looks as, at, at you, cleric, and he's asking you, what do you and your fellow companions need? And then the cleric player can just speak up. Um, we need two rooms, two beds. And everyone needs a bit of the stew. And then, okay. And then I ask, okay, where do you guys sit down? And then they can decide where they want to sit down. They can narrate in the third person where they want to sit down. And then I can, then that already set the scene for the tavern. And then what I often do, for example, if they are getting in, in the tavern for the rest or sitting at the campfire is just put everything down and say, so, what do you guys talk about? And then just let them talk about anything. If they don't come to anything, I have enough another nights where I can still do that. Like, if they in that one night don't want to talk about anything and just want to get to the next day, well, I can ask them after that day again, what do you guys talk about? Mm -hmm. And doing that often enough has more or less let my players to that they have at least something to talk about every night where they they just discuss some simple stuff like for 5-10 minutes in character around the campfire with me just being silent observing they discuss the plan for the next day they discuss uh, what they did this day and just in character talk out what their plan is and what they want to do or what they expected to happen and all that stuff, it really helps them if it comes to a situation, like you said, where the stakes are way higher because they are way more comfortable in slipping into the role instantly. For, yeah, and for as sure. you mentioned the... Um, sorry. As you mentioned, when the stakes are much lower, it's easier to put people on the spot to make them feel more comfortable in higher stakes situation. I think that's one reason why the you start in a tavern start is such a classic because there aren't any stakes really and you can basically do whatever the fuck you want. You can say anything you want and as the barkeep, the M NPC, you can just put everybody on the spot as you like. You can just ask a, a player character directly what they want to talk about or you can just talk to them immediately and engage them in that way in roleplay. 
absolutely. I was going to say the, oh, basically the same thing because it's, <laughs> it's such a canonical way to start a game, right? Just start in yeah. the tavern with the barkeep. It's this trope that I would feel bad doing with players that have played the that have been in the hobby for a long time. But if it's new players, it's almost what they're expecting you to do, I think. And they they want to see the shopkeeper. They want to see the barkeep. They want to they want to have that bar fight in the first you know fifteen minutes of the game or whatever it is. So I agree completely. The having that low stakes downtime setup time is a great opportunity to do role play and downtime I think is also great for more than just role play right like uh and and now I think we're getting into the topic that you guys you know before the show we talked a little bit about what we might talk about today and I think downtime was our consensus for what we'd want to talk about I know this is maybe a long segue into into introducing the today's topic but yeah, so I, I don't know if you guys have other uses for downtime that you guys wanted to talk about. I, I might chime in with more roleplay stuff, but I, I love downtime, personally. I don't know if you guys do too. I, I, I love downtime, but I'm horribly bad at implementing it. Same here. The thing is, the way my <laughs> players work is they go from point to point to... They want to go from point to point to point to point. It's hard to put a downtime in there because I, I don't know if I'm doing it wrong or if it's just not the style my table wants. And if that's the case, I'm completely fine with that. But they, well, you could say they, they went to a town and you could say that, that, that the time they spent in that town was downtime. But I don't know, actually, because they went there and they found out some stuff. They then tried a lot of different approaches, and then they went out again into the woods into to doing their quest. The thing is, I expected them to go out of that town far sooner and basically return far sooner again to then get actual downtime. And yeah, I don't know. They, they spent like five days in that town basically just doing simple character stuff. And I'm talking about... The artificer, the gnome artificer went to visit her cousin. The paladin visited his, his temple of his god. The rogue tried to find work. The monk tried to find nothing. <laughs> I don't know what he was searching for, really. But they all had these little tasks that basically were full roleplay. And I think, like, like Matt's already said... Downtime is great for roleplay because especially when you when I look at downtime, I always think of this time that is not done adventuring. Time that is not done into in the wilds. There is no danger from a monster or a bandit or whatever. You just sit there. And while I love downtime and it, it, it reflects in how I always hand my players a castle, a house, or whatever. I've, I'm planning, and now all my Phantoms of Players, uh, Phantoms of Chaos players, should not listen to the next part. Hey, wait a second, wait a second. I'm planning on giving them a, vine a, vineyard, a vineyard. Oh, cool. Nice. Uh, a complete winery in the south of the continent where they can just have this big mansion on a hill and beautiful views and I'm already planning into how they're going to spend downtime there because 
there's gonna be enough place for them to basically get a production of wine going so they could have passive income they could tend to the gardens they could tend to the house and all of that stuff is basically low stakes no adventure just simply playing a character right downtime is more or less really just playing the simple side of a character yeah that that, that is what downtime is for me playing the character without really having to play them in danger because normally i put my players in a lot of danger when they go adventuring yeah i uh, plan something uh, fairly similar but not giving them a vineyard or something but having a huge festival of sorts in in my homebrew world with one of my campaigns where they just have one week of festivities where they can do whatever they want they can visit exotic food stands and try the food and then i'll have to come up with a recipe for something but yeah i like to do something like this maybe some uh, games for them they, that they can play or stuff like that mm -hmm. but you mentioned f uh, festivals i i also really like festivals <laughs> my players my, my players have been to too many festivals in their time <laughs> as players um no but festivals are like you said, great, because you can basically showcase exotic cultures, exotic food, and basically make the place where you have that festival into, into a melting pot of cultures and have everything in there have, and have them meet NPCs and ha let them have fun. And we talked about this in the in episode 30 in the Witcher GTRPG. There is a section in the Game Master section which talks about giving the players time to appreciate the adventure because I, if you don't have if, if they don't have time to process what happened and what is going to happen next they will have less time to appreciate it so having them in a tavern at a festival or in their house just sitting back for at least this long rest or whatever drinking a beer and doing nothing but appreciating what happened that that's going to enhance what happened that's going to make it way more epic actually when they look at back at it because the characters also had time to process it they don't get thrown from monster to monster to monster to monster to big bad evil guy they they have time to appreciate what happened they have time to forge bonds with each other and become a real adventuring party and not just some people that work together yeah, what what you're saying is actually I think super important. And like, you mentioned a couple of things that I I really resonated with there, both of you when you were talking about downtime. But to me, the thing that's the most critical is exactly you can't appreciate the highs without having the lows. Uh, you can't appreciate the stakes that you like you know the danger you were just in without reflecting on it. And the downtime creates this atmosphere where you can take a breath. You can reflect on that. You can also uh, evolve and think about how that, like how your character ought to react to the death of an NPC, to the death of a player character, to being face to face with like this enormous demon that came out of the summoning circle or whatever. There, you know, people don't get to react to those things in the moment. I mean, I guess they can, but you can't properly externalize your feelings when you're face-to-face -face with the monster. 
but you can certainly externalize it when you and your buddies are having a beer in the tavern and you can be like, you know, your drink, your character's drinking their beer or they're, they're eating their dinner or whatever. And they're like, Oh my God, I can't believe we got out of there alive. And by having those kinds of interactions that sometimes they're dramatic, other times they're very mundane, but I think they help grow a character, right? They, they help push a character out from just this sack of HP that hits monsters to somebody that has emotions and feelings and downtime gives them a platform to externalize that, mm. which I think is, is super fun. I, I have a, I have an anecdote to that because I've played in the game of the dark eye fifth edition uh, in a friend's campaign. I've played, I think a 14 year old circus girl. And basically she, she traveled around with this old elven archer, this gruesome orc hunter, and I think a thief. And like a normal adventuring party, right? It's it, it's this melting pot of weird people. <laughs> and but she she traveled with them and their first quest was retrieve this weird stone that fell from the sky. Just retrieve it. You can keep the stone, but the person that sent us there just wanted to uh, get get confirmation on their calculations that they know where the stone is going to hit. They did. We keep the stone. The stone seems to be the focus object of some cultists. They need it. They've been chasing us all around the continent already. They get it. Finally. We try to get it back. Our elf, who was our, also our healer, nearly dies in the process. This 14-year-old girl is the one that actually through some seriously close roles resurrected this dude. And the other two player characters and the other two players and that player of the of the elf were like, okay, we need to find the stone. And and for her, for, for, for this girl, the stone was always the symbol of her newfound family with these people, right? It was the first thing they found together and it was with them all that time. But now seeing a family member die over that object, is that really worth it for her? And and that's the question she asked herself the whole night because it was like 2 a.m. in-game at that point and they were like, okay, we will go to sleep before we go after those cultists. And then we sat in the tavern and basically it was like, does anyone want to do something? And I'm like, okay, well, she will sit there for like three hours not doing anything because she still has the blood of her comrade or, or her friend on her on her hands and her clothes and just sits there not saying anything and basically processing that someone nearly died over this object that has no value to us other than that, that we want it. Hmm. And now it's gone. And the next day they wanted to go after it. My character didn't want to go after it anymore. Why? Right? We don't need that object. We don't need it for anything. It's just wasted time. And like, like you said, she grew a lot in that simple moment of a processing what happened the night before in the tavern. She, she finally had the time to process this. And I was like, okay, I as a player, I had to process that as well. I, I also had to think about, okay, what is going to happen? What is she going to do? What What is she thinking? Because like 
I have I've made my thoughts about it, but I'm not my character. My character and I are different from one another, and I portray a character in the game. So I also have to think, what are they thinking? Mm-hmm. What it's it's not it doesn't matter what I want. It and matters that's what not the easy, character right? Wants. Like that's, yeah. sometimes that's hard to. It's in the moment you need to take a step back and like, even like between sessions, be like, and, and that's kind of. I I like to have downtime split. Like when I run downtime, I like it to. I like it to be, it doesn't happen too often, but I like to have it kind of split up, especially when it's after something pretty intense to be like, look, something really intense just happened. We're going to initiate some downtime and then we're going to cut the, like, let's close the game out. And then next game we'll continue this before we continue along on our, on our way on the adventure. And it gives players this opportunity to, if they want to reflect on how their character would react because you're exactly right like in the spot it's so hard to be like what would my character who's been through a b c and d which i have never done as a person how how would i react to that how would they react to that and what's the most interesting thing it with within this party dynamic to to react to right you could be a rogue character who's angsty and who doesn't share secrets with everybody and that like your gut reaction when something crazy happens is for them to internalize their emotions and not say anything. They're, they're the loner type. They're not going to say anything, but that's not fun for everybody else at the table. So sometimes you have to kind of play a little bit more. What other things would it be reasonable for my character to do? That would also be interesting for other characters to react to. And, and so that, that like internal discussion that you as a player, anybody listening, it's your, your responsibility to do, to do that, during the game is hard. So by splitting it up, I'm rambling again, but by splitting it up, you kind of give the players this opportunity to think about how they want to react to something. Um, and then the other side of this coin is you can also have character growth on like absolutely ridiculously mundane things. <laughs> because I, your anecdote, I just to kind of play the opposite, um, mm-hmm. there was this one time that I was playing with my friends and I was playing this like, sorcerer wizard type character and we just had finished fighting this massive monster and it was downtime and we were in the in the camp at the campfire eating dinner and my character just started to drink too much and he just started to drink too much and then i'm like you know what like it'd be really interesting for my character to be really into tea like really into like different types of teas and like green tea and this tea and like steeping it for too long would burn it, blah, blah, blah. So he goes on this rant where he lets all of his frustration out on one, one, one other player character because he's steeping his tea wrong this whole time and it's driving him crazy. And even two years later, that monologue like comes back and people poke fun at my character for having said that. And it just created this new dimension to my character but I only felt that it was appropriate to do it because the stakes were lowered, right? Like because it was during downtime. So that's another th- reason why I find downtime a lot of fun is you can add these silly dimensions to your character that sometimes become part of the character and in, in like an interesting way. Um, but uh, but yeah. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, something like this happened to me recently one of my player characters uh, a wizard i think 
some sort of spellslinger, was roasted by a fireball-y type of spell. And then in the session afterwards, the whole party get, uh, got to meet the family of said character. And she, the, she tried to hide the fact that she was nearly burned alive. But everybody tried to poke um, little things or try letting go some anecdotes about that to upset the family in a way that would make the player character upset. And now, through this kind of downtime thing, in a whole new character arc, some sort of ego-boosting-slash-redemption arc is going to take place soon. I don't know how I'm going to in incorporate that yet, but I think this will be a lot of fun to witness. How every character interacts with the fact that she got burned twice. Once by words and once by fire. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta I mean, make it three times, right? Third time's the charm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, right? Um, the it's it's a simple downtime activity of talking to the family, but it shows so much, right? It's yeah, a lot of it shows a lot about the character and all the characters in downtime, what they would do with their free time. But because if, if I think about descriptions in downtime in D&D, &D, for example, it's always like, okay, you have X amount of days between adventures. What do you do with that time? And I was, I'm always like, well, that's the thing that I would think about at character creation even. What does this person do in their free time? Because let's face it, while I work as, an, as, an, as a programmer and system developer in my real life job i sleep i have friends i meet and all that stuff and then i also have free time and have a hobby which is ttrpg my character would be the same they would also have a hobby and then i always think okay what would this character do for example with that circus girl while she isn't a bard in dnd terms because she can't cast magic yet she plays a lot of music. She, she she tries to learn a lot of instruments. So I, when she had downtime, she would always have either an instrument in her hands or trying to sing or whatever because that's what she would do. I have another character that's um, this angsty brooding rogue who, okay, this is maybe not at least a hobby, but she loves to get drunk. She she loves singing sea, sea shanties as a sailor. She she also likes playing card games, right? You have these simple things that make a character whole. And I mean really simple things. I like to play card games. My character enjoys gardening. Um, my character uh, has a simple morning ritual. And, and, and downtime is the best way to showcase those things. Because it doesn't take... I can I can get when, for example, a player I've had a player that played a Asma wizard in one of my games who basically always got up when the sun was rising so he could pray to the sun for like a half an hour, and he described that often enough where and and how he always wanted the last part of the last watch in the long rest so he can watch the sun uh, sun go up, and that's fine, right? But 
in a downtime, he really has time to play that out. In downtime, he was like, okay, there's a temple in town of my god. I'm going there and want to pray with the priests. And then I was like, okay, do you want to describe how you guys pray? And then he really described for like 10 minutes how he how they are praying. And now then I made it part of the religion. So downtime gives them the opportunity to really play out simple character stuff, be it flaws, hobbies, preferences, whatever. But it also works great for world building, in my opinion. You you have a way to flesh out your world as a DM by just observing your characters because one of them says, okay, my character likes spicy food. So he's going to, in that downtime, try to get a lot of spicy food. Uh, he's going to go to taverns, find the best spicy food in town, which is a totally valid thing. And then I'm going to think about with the player, why do you like spicy food? Well, it's part of the region where I come from. They people there like spicy food. And boom, that's more or less world building done. And it's organic. It's It works together. It's them really playing the character how they want to play it without me having any say over it. And it being part of the bigger world that we play in. Yeah, and the, uh, the world just develops as any world would develop anyways. It just, any preferences now stuck onto a region but uh, you just have one preference of a player character and make it into a bigger picture basically it just works super organic together uh, that's why i like to flesh out the world enough but give room for people to grow my world with me mm. during downtime role play or preferences or character choices or whatever that's that's awesome that's that's a lot of fun um I'm trying to think of, a, of an anecdote that's similar to this. And it's not, it was a long time ago, so it's a little bit fuzzy. But I, as a game master, I similarly like to leave gaps in, in the world for my players to fill in. And there, I think it was a fest, going back to the festivals, they, they went to a festival. And I was like, I have no preference as to what this festival is going to be about. So I let the table decide what the festival ought to be. And they decided that it was going to be a watermelon festival in a part of the world that, like, did not have watermelon. It was, like, a Nordic cold place, <laughs> and they wanted it to be the watermelon festival. So it generated all of these, um, almost like these traditions of how the watermelons got to the town and why they're so important. And you can only eat them this time of year because otherwise you can never get them. And these caravans that would, you know, transport them and yada yada. And it was it was really fun. And it was it was funny. And that adds part of like part of the reason why I enjoy downtime is because you can you can make it funny without derailing. I love humor in my games, but I'm always scared that humor in a game in the wrong time will change the tone in like an irreversible way, right? If if you're your your bad guy or a villain gets introduced and they, their name is silly by accident or somebody gives them a, a, a fun nickname that like just ruins it, then it's hard to get that tone back. But if you let people like use the downtime as a pressure valve to allow humor to come out and let all the players get all their jokes out in the downtime, then when you get back to the, like fighting the bad guy, hopefully they're all joked out and their the seriousness <laughs> can come back. Um, 
so I, I don't know if you guys have similar like do you guys include humor how do you include humor in your games and is downtime a similar outlet for you i i first want to say give an anecdote because i've had a six-year sci-fi campaign and i introduced the main villain in like chapter four which means for us like session five Okay, these sessions also weren't weekly and not four hours long. They were like 16 hours long and like once every three months. But anyway, that villain was basically someone that could warp space and time and a lot of more stuff. But basically he stopped the main... The main the players were agents for, for a secret organization meant to keep the world of aliens and supernatural away from the normal people like a little bit like the man in black but more secretive even and they they met this villain and the main agent the the the, the let's say main character even though there isn't a main character in a group but he stu stood up and said how about we get a döner döner german is a german street food is it's it's a, especially berlin street food and they were in berlin at that time and, and i'm like uh, shit this villain <laughs> just said i want to talk with you guys so he's gonna say <laughs> yes and well he said yes so he took him out for a döner and then he he bought two döners gave the villain one the villain just stretched out his hand let the döner fall warped around the ground around and let the döner disappear into the nothingness and since then, there wasn't any other way for my players to name this character than the Döner in-ground disappear maker or something. In German, uh, obviously, they have them. But basically, the one that makes Döners disappear in the ground. And <laughs> oh boy. the name was done. I, I couldn't have... I, no matter what the name of that villain was, it didn't matter because they found their name, their funny yeah. name, and it was done, though. So, yeah, I definitely get that a downtime is a good valve for letting them have their fun without basically derailing six years into the future <laughs> of naming. Because six years later, they still named him that. And I was yeah, like, yeah, hmm. there's no going back. Like, they, they yeah. latch onto that kind of stuff. The story then, when the big bad just turns to into the street food man. It's just <laughs> there's just a bunch just of happens. parts, you know, yeah. in every town <laughs> that he's in control of. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, for me also, I don't have a big problem with when my players make fun of something. I, I, I mostly let it happen. They 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 also most of the time, maybe aside from that and a few other times, they also know to control themselves and don't make it just for the funds and at least have the seriousness we actually agreed upon at character creation for the game. Sometimes it's an iconic one line that destroys everything. And when that happens, I'm okay with it because at the end we are here for fun, right? I, I'm not paying my players to play, so I can't really expect them to not have fun. So at least let them have that. But normally I use... Like you said, downtime is a good valve and gives me the opportunity to let them do whatever they want to do and have the fun they want and without having that bleed into the adventure and destroying the vibe we actually wanted to have because 
it's 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 a little weird if 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 I say to them this is gonna we're gonna probably gonna have a horror session next or we're gonna have a horror campaign, and they are in this haunted house and go into this haunted house and say, "Hey, demons, it's your boy," <laughs> and I, I'm like. Okay, well, the suspense is gone. <laughs> yeah, no, it kills it. It absolutely kills it. I, I remember we had a session, like, it was supposed to be our Halloween game. And I was a player, and, and I'm actually guilty of doing it. So <laughs> so maybe I'm, I shouldn't be saying it's a bad thing to do. I have anyway. to say, everyone is guilty of it, normalist, because at the end, it's for fun, right? Everyone's want to have fun. It's totally normal. But I think especially Halloween events for TTRPGs try to get a little more goofy than regular horror stuff. Mm. So True. I did this as well. <laughs> yeah. Yay. Okay. okay, Matt, please continue. Yeah, so basically there was this bat we were in this crypt and there was like this giant bone creature that that the necromancer had like as his not his pet, but you know what I mean? Like mm. the 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 beast in the cave that was supposed to be lurking around and scraping the floors and it was supposed to be very suspenseful. And as soon as we found out that it was completely made out of bone, we we started calling it the boner. And <laughs> and that was just done. Like all the suspense was gone. Whenever yeah. we heard the scratching, we were like, oh, there goes the boner scratching on the walls. <laughs> and it was just the dot toast. Like, there goes all the suspense, you know? Yeah. But but um... I mean, I, I'm definitely guilty of it as well. I don't have an anecdote per, per se for that as well. But I know for a fact that in the nine years I've been a player, I've definitely done this to my DM. And I know all of my players have done it to me at least once. So it cancels out, you could say. It's Again, just right? a it, thing that happens. It's in good fun, right? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I, as the GM, am even the one to realize the mistake of naming of of making a creature out of full bone in the dungeon and letting the, like I'm the one that then says "fuck," it's the boner, and then it's <laughs> gone anyway. But <laughs> yeah, no, but uh, but anyway, yeah. Back, if we could, you know, to segue back to downtime for that exact reason, let all the humor out there. Like you said, we're not professional players. We're not professional game masters. So even if we're of the understanding that we're going to try to be serious, you know, at the end of the day, it's a Friday night after work. It's been a long week at work and you just want to let off some steam as a player. So you just say stupid shit. Like it just happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and downtime tends to facilitate that best. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, what... I have a question about general downtime sessions, what type of sessions there are, because the most relevant one I, that I, or the most important one I can think about is the shopping session. Everyone, mm -hmm. everyone knows mm -hmm. a good shopping session where you prepare your players for basically having a shopping trip through the shops in town to get new gear, to get equipment and everything, magic items, and just let them more or less have that time to really think about the stuff they want and is there, I don't know, do you guys prepare for for especially shopping sessions with your players? Do you tell them it's going to be a shopping session? What do you guys want to buy? Do you have any ideas? Do you have a shopping list or anything like that? Do, do you want to go first, Nils? Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I don't really do that. I just, if they want to buy something, they can buy something. And then it usually turns into a shopping session. 
because then they just keep remembering things they wanted to shop anyways and just keep going and keep going and revisiting shops, I think, like five or six times because they always forget something. But I don't really plan on stuff like that. Okay. Yeah, that's a good... That, that I don't... I actually... I said I like downkind, but I hate shopping. <laughs> <laughs> I... I find a lot of that stuff very tedious. Like a lot of the activities that people usually associate with downtime, like shopping, uh, you know, building upkeep or like home base upkeep. Um, what's the other thing? Like healing, right? Like in Warhammer or in the games that we play, there are wounds that stick around. So like you can get hurt and then there's like a permanent effect on your character for a long time unless you go see a, a professional healer or or whatever so all that kind of stuff i find very tedious I inventory management too like what do you have on your backpack versus what do you what do you have in your chests so i as a game master i tend to allow that kind of activity to happen outside of the game like when there's five or six people around a table let's do the stuff that's going to engage five or six people and, and that's kind mm -hmm. of the understanding that my table has Obviously, if there's like one really cool item that they want to buy or it's it's quest specific, then they'll go and talk to the shopkeeper and we'll like act out the scene. But otherwise, it's it's pretty like tick tock tick, like, you know, checking boxes mm -hmm. and like, yeah, you did that good. Everybody, let's t take five minutes, take care of our housekeeping and then get back to the adventure. Yeah. Uh, and in in my game, also the game that I've been running for a long time now, <clears throat> it's a pirate pirate themed game and i gave them a ship to like right out the right out of the bat the first game they had a they had a boat a big enough boat to keep all their stuff and their supplies and it's in like a caribbean style setting where most of the towns are separated by bodies of water so they're constantly when they're moving from one place to the other they jump on their boat and travel and downtime is kind of squished into one activity which are the, you know, I also don't like travel. So having them both, it, it was my way of being like, let's get it all done with, rip off the Band-Aid and get back to the adventure. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> it, it definitely does because normally when I ask questions on the show, I only want to start off discussions about stuff. So yes, it does. The thing is, I definitely, if my players... Wait, wait, let me ask... A question first, a simple question. Do you guys track ammo in your games? Nope. No. Nope, both no. Okay. But actually, there's an interesting thing that one of my game masters did for me once, and I loved it, and I've been implementing it ever since, is he also does, he did this thing where we got three freebies. So before going on an adventure, uh, if we said, oh, we, we need to have rope to get across this chasm, mm -hmm. but we didn't explicitly say that we had it, we can use a freebie. And maybe a rope is like a bad example, but we can be as specific as we want. It can be like, oh, we didn't bring a barrel of flammable gas that we need to use because we need this flammable gas to start a bonfire that's critical, blah, blah. I don't know if I'm making sense. But so we yes, have three freebies. So it really expedited planning, right? Because mm -hmm. when we're in a town and we're planning, like, hey, what kind of supplies do we need to do to scale this mountain? Is it going to be cold? Like instead of thinking of all of the scenarios, we know we can rely on these three freebies. So if it rains, we can be like, okay, well, we brought a tarp. That was one of our freebies or, or whatever. 
Sorry, mm -hmm. back, back to what you were saying. No, no, that's actually a great <laughs> point because a lot of games I know do this that give the players like a thing. It's always called like, well, I've, I'm prepared for the job or the right tool for the job or anything like that because mm. it just makes it, 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 it stops. Like, I don't want to say it f stops the dungeon master from fucking over the players, but it stops the game from s s fucking over players because players yeah. they can't prepare for every scenario they, they will they will always be like i've i've been in groups that never had a rope and it was com it became so boring so quick when you don't have a rope and you're in the in the mountains and you're like mm -hmm. well we can't climb because we don't have climbing gear anymore and and these mechanics at least help with not slowing the game down. It, it doesn't become the slog of, well, now what are we going to do? How are we going to find a way around it? It's like, okay, well, yes, we have one. We don't care. And that's a great way to do planning and shopping for adventures because it cuts down on the time, right? It, it definitely cuts down on the time for actually doing the planning so you can get right back into the fun stuff you want, right? And... It's definitely a rule I thought about implementing at my table, but then I thought about the theme I want for my game, for, for my Phantoms of Chaos game. And that was to get a little bit more of gritty, of a grim, dark vibe to it. So in that game, yes, we do track ammo because there has been numerous times when my players have run or could have run out of ammo, which would have created a new problem for them. And those are the problems I wanted them to deal with. But... And I think it's especially fun if you set those expectations, right? Right? I said, I said to them, this is going to be grim and dark. You're going to track ammo. You're going to track HP. Long resting works different here. You need mm. to make a survival check to even get the long rest. And all of that stuff, maybe you don't get a long rest if you don't roll high enough and all that stuff. And it created new problems for them, but it also created a new way of creativity for them. Because... Well, it, now we need to track ammo. So now we need a way to solve our ammo problem if we ever have one. Well, we could buy 100 arrows and be safe, but then we also have to carry those. How do we do that? And then it was like, well, we have a bag of holding now. We basically have all our transportation things, all of our encumbrance and transportation I more or less figured out. We have a cart with horses. So we basically also can move around with more or less a moving house because they made that card so they can actually also have a tarp over it and sleep in it and all that stuff. And it created a lot of new challenges for them that we agreed upon that at these planning sessions, planning and shopping sessions as a necessity to the games, to how the game is supposed to work. But it also made them differently than for and for how you guys run your games, right? They they are way more of, okay, we need arrows, we need a new bow, we need new weapons, we need you know, repairing on our armor and all that stuff. All this mundane stuff that others would just hand wave. And I would hand wave as well in other games, but in this game I wanted this. And it created a whole new set of downtime activities for them, which again goes back to, it's the simple stuff. It's mm -hmm. the paladin going, every time he is in town for more than three days, going to the 
going to the blacksmith and saying, hey, my armor needs repair. How much is that going to cost me? And then I'm going to like, okay, well, it's not going to cost you a lot because it basically would just be me draining money from them. If like, I don't want to drain the money they get. Like, I don't want the Paladin from the 100 gold he gets to spend 10% on the armor repair. It should, it isn't even more or less in the rules of D&D. I'm like, well, yes, you need to pay around, what, three silver for that armor to get repaired. And it just adds a little bit to the to the play of downtime. Now the Paladin has no armor, so he wouldn't go adventuring. Now he's more or less free to do whatever he wants. And I'd, yeah, I'm th- curious... Um... Does that, because one thing that I'm always really worried about when I implement, like, I totally agree with you. You don't track water unless you're going through a desert kind of thing, mm-hmm. right? Like, you, 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 if you want Grimdark, if you want it to be a survival game, you track the, your ammo. Do you find that the players, like, suck the fun out of it for themselves? Like, or maybe maybe that's too strong language, but I'm always worried that when put in a situation like that, even if the players don't think it's fun, they feel like they will win. Like they, they, they're going to do the optimal thing, even though it's not fun, but they know it's the optimal thing. So they have to, they have to grind to get what they need or whatever. Has that happened or has it, has it not? And like, I'm, I'm curious to know how that worked out for you. I, I don't think so. Actually. I, I think because we, we we've gone through this more grim dark more grounded way of we are normal people we we don't have enough money we need to track our ammo because we can't just buy 100 arrows or um or because my weapon is going to break at some point or something and because death is more grim and all that stuff i i feel like they have been a lot more careful but it didn't cut down on creativity or mm. fun in any way for them because I, I think what I've learned through this campaign already is that if I introduce a set of limitations that is actually going to enhance creativity than actually hinder it because now they know what they can't do or what, what is harder to do. And in that framework they now have, they will become way more creative. Mm. They've found very interesting strategies already to to circumvent some stuff that normally happens they've they they, they they've accumulate uh, acclimated very well to this new environment they are in as players and i think especially with my players they are gonna find a way to make everything fun for them they've there's still this moment of silliness in the game like they are in the dungeon and at, around the campfire they have they are still telling jokes at each other and and joking around a little bit but then they go back into the fight and basically the monk has only five arrows left so he's gonna switch to now to fist combat because he doesn't want to shoot those five arrows because he might need them later and it creates a new set of choices for them I, I don't know Matt if you would agree but I have said for the last few episodes that role-playing games are about taking choices and taking risks as a player and player character. Because if you always can make the best calculated choice and basically always win, what's the fun, right? Mm. The best example I have, they, they were in a dungeon. There was a red glowing orb in the middle and they decided to leave. Or at least this, that was one of their options they wanted to take. 
The other option was shoot that orb and destroy it. Now, both options are fine, in my opinion. Both options have their pros and cons, probably, for them. But obviously, as a dungeon master, I don't want them to just leave the dungeon again after they've been in there. That, that, that's just not going to happen. I'm just not going to be like, yeah, well, that's what I expected you to do. I obviously wanted them to destroy that orb. And I'm like, it's they were like, we don't know what's going to happen when we destroy that orb. And I'm like, yeah, well, I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen because then why would you do it? Any? Why would you mm -hmm. do it? There, there needs to be a set of uncertainty to it to uh, make the game fun because then you take those chances and either the failing or the succeeding with those chances is what makes the game fun. And I, I feel like that these, that this ammo tracking, grim dark, resting is harder, that's creating way more set of those choices for my players. So... Yeah, it's that's actually super interesting. I've never thought of it that way. Um, first, I'll say I agree with your statement that role playing games are about choices. I would even go so far as saying it's about committing to choices as a player, even if you don't know. You know what I mean? Like you make a decision and you stick with it because that's what makes it interesting. If it's about a role play, like if it's about a reaction to something. It's never fun to be neutral. It's always fun to be for or against something. Yeah. So pick one and stick with it. Commit to it because it creates an interesting dynamic. Same thing with, like you said, like you destroying that that crystal or the orb or whatever. You don't know, but do it anyway. Or, or be against it and like take it and protect it. Or you know, the the enjoyment comes with the extremes. Mm -hmm. And and you're absolutely right that ammo tracking and inventory management it's another choice and arguably it's an easier choice right like from a player's perspective the 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 consequences aren't as bad but if you destroy the orb it could be terrible so it's almost like a stepping stone it's it's mm -hmm. another set of choices players can take with simpler not simpler with lower risk i guess and mm -hmm. that, that's kind of neat now that you say that i've never I've never thought of ammo tracking in this way. Uh, very interesting. And everything Emil just described basically brings out a new set of problems for the players, mm -hmm. which also, uh, also can lead to new opportunities and situations where characters can shine, even though the problem is pretty hefty sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Because they um, may be able to show off somewhere a weird way of thinking about the situation or using something they have in their inventory in a relatively creative way to further the ideas or the problem or find a solution to that. There's a second question I wanted to ask with Tracking Ammo. I think we should wrap up the episode in a bit, but now... Now the next question for both of you. Since you do guys don't track ammo, do your players use some stuff like Alchemist Alchemy Fire? Do they buy that and use it? In my game, it has mostly been disregarded or just looked over because nobody has thought about it. Mm -hmm. But they wouldn't go out of their way to buy al one Alchemy Fire and have unlimited ammo, if you would say that. No, no, that's not this, what I wanted but... to say. The thing is, 
I've realized that 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 me making gear a more scar uh, more scarce resource for them, they've actually looked at their gear more. They they've they've they've, they've this like a player came to me and said, "Wait, there's hmm. something like throwable fire. Why have I not?" bought this before and i'm like well you never looked at the equipment in the nd <laughs> and I've, I've realized that by making equipment more than just stuff to use and also a resource to use that can diminish or replenish they've actually gotten a lot more fond of equipment in general like Every rogue has ball bearings, right? And and I've seen a lot of creative uses for them. But now also thinking about them buying Keltrops, which are arguably more effective than ball bearings in, for example, a, a chase scene, they've never thought about that because they're never in the standard equipment. That's the other thing you need for to play your character because they have to buy their equipment separately or at least... They, they have to think about buying their equipment separately. So, yeah, because I made it clear to them, like getting back to the discussion we had in the beginning of setting expectations, I made it clear that equipment is going to be a lot more important in this game and they should look at equipment. They have realized that there's a lot of stuff in their equipment that they can use in a very creative way. And I think that created a lot of new creative possibilities for them. But I will say again that definitely not for every game I would run. It's 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 a little bit tedious, I, I, I will say that. So I definitely understand everyone saying I don't track that because I normally I wouldn't too, but for this game I was like, well, let's try it one time. And it's worked great so far. Um, do, you, do you play virtually I, or do you play in person for this game? We would play in person if... We All could. of us were fully vex. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm the last one. Next, next week Monday, I'm finished with, uh, with uh, vaccinations and all that stuff. So after that, we. Now the thing is, I've talked about this a few times on the show, but I'm gonna say it to you, Matt, as well. My first session in person is gonna be a Halloween one shot. Woo! Don't, don't, have, <laughs> any, nice. don't have any boners in it. <laughs> oh, I will have boners, but of all kinds. <laughs> <laughs> ah, like Neil said, this show's gonna be chaotic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. Uh, because we are at uh, seventy minutes of recording already, I would like for both of you to more or less give closing statements on downtime. How you think about it? Summarizing what we talked about a little bit in your own words and. Yeah, Matt, I think you should start and then Niels and then I'm going to say the last words and we're finished. Yeah, for sure. So you can, I, I think you can think of downtime or at least I like to think of downtime as an opportunity for players to reflect on all of the stressful things that you've put them through. Um, it's an opportunity for them to externalize. You know, when you role play, I think it's very important to externalize emotions, to externalize reactions. And downtime is an amazing opportunity for players to do that amongst each other around the campfire with the bartender you know when they're while they're traveling so if you're a player listening or you're a game master listening if you want if you're a game master listening and you want your players to have a platform to do it downtime is a great opportunity 
And as a player, I would encourage you to really dig into those, those, those things. Your game masters will be happy to hear about how your character feels about the death of an NPC or the retrieval of an ancient artifact or something you know equally important. Uh, the, the last thing I'll say too is it's also a great opportunity to release humor and to explore some of the more mundane or you know relatively silly things that can add dimension to your character, that can add dimension to the world. So you know, take take downtime for what it's worth, and don't just treat it as a checklist of inventory. I would say focus more on the role play. You can you can always do your checklist stuff, you know, when you're you know off off the table, just you and the game master or whatever. That that's my opinion. Yeah, I basically can just agree to all that has been said right now, and just add that as a DM, you can use downtime with low stakes to encourage role play in your players to give them uh, backstory plots possibly during downtime and can engage in role play in that way and everything that Matt has just told us <laughs> okay i also have to say i agree i agree with both of you obviously um i think downtime really is a great opportunity for players to fletch out their character and for DMs to get to know the characters. Asking a player specifically what is your character doing in the next seven days of downtime and thinking about thinking with them about what is going to happen, what is the barbarian going to do, is he going to try to become the next champion of the arena and do we want to play this out, what's his goal and all of these sort of questions and I would say the best advice I can give for downtime where you really don't have anything to do to the to DMs is just ask players some stuff you can get, get specific with it like ask the barbarian player do you want to get to the arenas and have some fights there to gain some to gain some money or to gain some uh, fame or you can just ask the player what are you gonna do no what are you just gonna do right you can You can ask players and go specific. Go, go with specific questions, especially for newer players, because they might be overwhelmed when you tell them you can do everything you want. So just ask them, well, you have a rogue. Maybe you try to break into one of the houses just for fun. We don't have to play that out, but are you trying something like that? And then they are going to think about, well, is my rogue going to do this? No, my rogue isn't the type of person that breaks into houses just because he wants to. Boom, you learn something about the character, both of you. And that's great. So with that, we are at the end of our episode. And that means I, uh, yeah, I'm going to give over to Matt. Do you want to shout out anything? Where can people find you and all oh, of that awesome. stuff? Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, thank you to the two of you for having me on the show. It's been a lot of fun. Um, I'm looking forward to having you guys join me in uh, one of our upcoming episodes. So, um, and the show, our show is called Role Play Chat. That's R-O-L-E as in role play, role play chat. And you can find us on any podcasting platforms. We're a, a bi-weekly podcast where you, we take deep dives onto tabletop RPG subjects and try to focus on the role play aspect. We've had all kinds of fun episodes. We're about two and a half years in now, I think, of, of, of doing the show. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, I'd, I'd like to sh specifically shout out one of my favorite episodes where we had uh, Brennan Lee Mulligan, the, the dungeon master for Dimension 20, join us. And we had a really cool chat about comedy and improv. 
in your games. So for those of you listening, if you want to check that out, I think it's episode, it was in the second season, episode 20 or 19 or something like that. Go check it out. He is like amazing. He's an amazing game master and his insights were really fun. It was fun to pick his brain. Um, and then, and yeah, and you can find us on Twitter. I like to do all kinds of polls. I've been a little quiet there lately because I had a new baby, but I'm going to try to pick up Twitter again. Uh, you can follow us there at roll underscore play underscore chat if you want to do that. And you had Brandon Lee Mulligan on your show. I didn't know that. I'm like, I, I'm like over here like, hmm, thinking about what I'm going to do after the episode. Well, I'm still watching The Unsleeping City <laughs> right now. I, I li- uh, Before we started this episode, I literally just finished episode two of Unsleeping City and, and was like, hmm, I could start episode three. <laughs> do it, do it. He's so That's, great. He is yeah. so great. Like, Generally, we have so many great dungeon masters out there. I am just the shit one. <laughs> I, I fall into that category too. Don't yeah. worry. Trust me, I've been a player in your campaign. In your campaigns, Emily, you aren't. Trust me. Yeah. Or at least for me, I don't know how everyone <laughs> else thinks, but I think you're you're doing great. Thank you, thank you. Okay, so people can find us on every podcasting platform mainly the one you are listening on right now, should be the one you normally use. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at double DM part. We also have a Discord server, which you can find in our link tree if you want to chat with us. And that's been it for episode 32 of Double DM, where we talked to Matt from Roleplay Chat about downtime, roleplaying, and a whole lot of other stuff, it seems. <laughs> it was great having you. Thank you for Thanks being here. Thanks for being here. here. Thanks to and you. With that, the only thing I have to say is bye bye. Thanks for listening. Bye bye. <laughs>